What would you be willing to give me if I told you I had the secret, the source of all your problems, all your strife, all your quarrels, the ones within your marriage, the one with your children, all of them? What if I could tell you, here's the source of them all? What would you be willing to give? Three easy payments of $29.99? What would you be willing to give? Well, I'll tell you, the book of James tells us the source of our strife. And if we want to tune in and learn how to solve it, we'll find out more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. James 4 verse 1 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Hence the title, What is the Source or the Source of Our Strife? What is the source? It would be good when we're going through something to know the cause of it, right? And that's really what James is saying. What's the cause of conflict? Uh, I came out of the business world, and I, I don't know if this is passe, if this is old, but they used to do something called a root cause analysis. Is that still going on in business? Any of you business people still going on? And so this was a way that if you did something wrong as a company, you failed to meet a deadline, uh, maybe you messed up a, a, an order, you would tell your client, we're going to do a root cause analysis. And what that really means is we're going we're to try to find out what the problem was in us processing this order and why when it got to you, we messed it up. Sometimes that was a tactic to make an excuse. Like, we'll really figure this one out. We're going to do a root cause analysis. Boy, that sounds very uh, professional. But if it doesn't produce change, it doesn't mean anything. And so James is going to do a root cause analysis for us this morning, spiritually speaking. And the temptation that we're all going to have is to think of somebody else during this message. Or you might start doing this. Did you, did you hear that? You... I'm going to get a copy of this sermon for so-and-so. Okay, you might do that. But you might want to listen first, okay? So James says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, we live in a world of conflict. We live in a world where people are debating and arguing and screaming at each other in freeway traffic. And there's arguments in seemingly every sphere of life backstabbing and quarreling and marriages that are dissolving because people can't get along. So we all understand the idea of conflict. We all understand that there's quarrels and conflicts. And, and you may, maybe even this week, maybe your household was in utter turmoil. Maybe there were fights every single day of the week. And maybe you've gotten to, the, to a point in a room like this, I'm sure that it's quite possible. Maybe you've gotten to a point where you've thrown up your hands and there's people who do this and you've given up because you don't know how to overcome this stuff. You do the same dance with the same people over and over again and you never seem to get to a solution or if the root cause has been revealed, it's still hard to overcome it. James is not speaking to the world here. That would be more convenient if he was, but he's speaking to the church. And we already know, as we've run through the chapters of James, that you know, people were going through trials. Some of them were blaming God. 
They were not responding well to their trials. People were making distinctions and partiality. They were claiming to be religious, but they weren't, really weren't. They were destroying one another with their tongues, chapter 3. They were claiming to be wise, but wisdom was absent among them. Each chapter has had you know, its share of direct um, confrontation to the church. And now he's talking about quarrels and conflicts among the people of God. And he says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, the war, as we can see from the language here, the idea of members is probably the members of our body here. But we can think of a dual meaning here because there's a membership within the body of Christ. And so the, the church is, the, is a membership, if you will. We are members of the body of Christ. And sometimes what happens is that there's fights and quarrels within the body. Sometimes Christians are so busy running down other Christians, we're not getting to the work of God because we're too busy quarreling and being conflicted with other people. The result is a crop of unrighteousness, as we saw in chapter 3. It's not the wisdom that's from above. It's um, wisdom, look at chapter 3, verse 15, that is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy, James 3.16, and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above, 3.17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So a few Sundays ago, we, we used this seed harvest analogy, the sowing and reaping. And we said, if you sow seeds of peace, you'll get a harvest of righteousness. But if you sow seeds of discord, if you're constantly throwing out bitterness and quarreling, you're going to get a crop of ugly stuff. And it's in relationships all over the world today. And so quarrels is uh, a Greek word from which we get the English word polemics. It relates to general, prolonged, and serious disputing or combat is often rendered war. Conflicts refers to a specific fight or battle. Both terms are used here metaphorically of violent personal relationships, which in the extreme can even result in murder, which is verse 2. We'll get to that in a second. And so we're talking about Ongoing violent personal relationships. Uh, something we may not want to talk about in church on a Sunday morning, but here it is. Here's the idea of abusive relationships. Here's the idea of both physical and verbal abuse. It does happen outside and inside the church, and it's a sad, sad thing. There are ministries that exist for women, for example, to go to a battered women's shelter because there are men that are abusing their wives or their girlfriends. But it can happen anywhere. It can happen to children. It can happen, you know, a woman can be abusive to a man. It can happen everywhere, in every sphere. And it's one uh, way that someone gets their anger out as they lash out with the tongue, James chapter 3, or maybe even get physical. We can see the story of Cain and Abel very early in the Bible. 
and fights and quarrels. There are fights and quarrels on the playgrounds. There are fights and quarrels in classrooms. Sometimes there's a teacher who's fearful of her students or his students because they're afraid that they might just raise up in the middle of the class and begin to beat on the teacher or worse yet, bring a gun into a school because they're mad at their teacher or mad at other students. This problem of quarrels and conflicts, the source of it is something we need to identify. In fact, the pundits all over our world, every time something uh, in the form of abuse happens and there's been terrible happenings I don't need to remind you of all over in theaters and schools and homes, is the pundits, the talking heads, are trying to figure out the source or the solution, right? They're trying to say, how do we fix it? The book of James actually is going to talk about that. James is going to say, this is what's going on. This is the root cause, and this is how we fix it. In verse 1, he says, Is not the source your pleasures? The word pleasures is a Greek word called hedane. It's where we get hedonism or a hedonist. Hedonism is defined this way. It is the uncontrolled personal desire to fulfill every passion and whim that promises sensual satisfaction and enjoyment. The source of our conflicts is hedonism, connected to humanism. Because if God is removed from the equation of a people, the only thing left is to live for pleasure. Because you have no transcendent cause, you have no reason that you should die for others or serve others, and so it becomes all about you. This is the humanistic message that is really born out in hedonism, and it's this. You should get everything that you want for your life now because life is all about you and your pleasure. Is that the mantra of today's world? Tell me. It is. But again, if it were the world that James was addressing, then it would be easier for me to say, you know, if they just would get it together. But James is talking about an early church, a group of professing believers who are imbibing the ways of the world. They become hedonistic. They believe, this is one form of hedonism, that the belief is that pleasure is the chief good in life. And let me just tell you right now, that's a lie. And if you spend the rest of your life pursuing pleasure, you will become a bankrupt and empty individual. And the quicker you get there, the more you will realize that the top of the hill is not what they say it is. My wife and I had a chance to get away and we were at a place where we were overlooking a harbor and a couple young men walked up and they were looking down and in the harbor there was a yacht. And one young man joked with the other and he said, you know what, I've never seen anybody ever crying on a yacht. <laughs> really? Well, maybe you've never been on a yacht. <laughs> because just because somebody's on a yacht doesn't mean all their problems have gone away. We think that will solve our problems. If I could just be down there on that boat with the, what those people have. Look at what they have. That thing spins on the top and I'm sure they got everything at their beck and call. Sure they do, but they're still humans. 
They're still dealing with the issues no matter where you are geographically. Sometimes we think, if I could just be on that boat, if I could just own an island, if I could have an island and a yacht, then, then what? There's an old saying, wherever you go, there you are. I know that's deep. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael, and I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. There's 27 products up at the store right now, ranging from things like the teaching on 666 from the book of Revelation, the seven seals from Revelation, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, the anatomy of a fall, how to avoid falling from 2 Samuel, and even teaching on the occult. Most recently, an interview with Frank Sontag about the New Age movement and his personal testimony. Hey, when you go to the store and you purchase a product, you partner with us to reach more people like you. So go to the store, walkintruth.com, click on the store, purchase a product of interest, buy it for a friend, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us to reach more people for the cause of Christ. We love you, we appreciate you. You can also give donations there at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com, click on that store, and partner with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. I'm sure they got everything at their beck and call. Sure they do, but they're still humans. They're still dealing with the issues no matter where you are geographically. Sometimes we think, if I could just be on that boat, if I could just own an island, if I could have an island and a yacht, then, then what? There's an old saying, Wherever you go, there you are. I know that's deep. You see, we think maybe it needs to be a change in geography. Maybe that boat will solve it. Maybe that car will solve it. Maybe another person, a different type of relationship. But the source of our problem is us. You see, if you believe that the next relationship that you move on to is going to solve all your problems, here's the problem. You're half the problem at least. So we think, oh, well, this will solve it or that will solve it. No, the issue is really us. It's that we don't want to be inconvenienced. We want our pleasures to be uppermost. We want what we want, how we want it, when we want it. And James says, if you take that attitude, you're a hedonist. Look at the Son of God. James might say, look at my brother, my half-brother when he was on the earth. He did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what he's calling me to do. And that's what he's calling you to do. Oh, it's not easy. Oh, yes, we have to fight our flesh. So the battlefield is real. James says in verse 2, you lust. The Greek word here is epithumia, thumio. It, I think every time it's used in the New Testament, it's negative. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now look at verse 2 in your Bible. You lust and you don't have what you want, so in order to get what you want, you got to get people out of your way. You commit murder. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus was preaching, and he, he brings this up, he talks about hating somebody without a cause. 
And so murder can take on a different idea here. It can be a metaphor, if you will, for hating someone or despising them or calling them a fool. So murder isn't always the literal act. You can murder someone's reputation. You can have murderous thoughts in your heart. So James says, here's the issue. You lust and you don't get what you want, so you kill. I mentioned Cain and Abel. But some of you may be thinking, but oh, that, that can't apply to the church. I mean, that's got to be outside the church. That can't be a believer. But there's a classic story we just went over in 2 Samuel of a man after God's own heart who committed adultery and murder. And his name is David. And so just when we think, oh, I couldn't fall to that, we have to be careful. Now, I don't know that in the book of James, somebody had literally killed somebody else in the church. I'm not sure that's what James is saying. We don't have enough detail. But maybe it was that James was hearing that all these people do is fight constantly. So in essence, with quotes around it, they're murdering one another. I was thinking of some examples in our modern age, and this may be hard to take, but I'm going to say it. Abortion has really become something where babies are murdered because we want what we want and we don't want to be inconvenienced. Think about it. Now, what do you think heaven's view of that is? Now, we know that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ and we have all failed. And I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I want you to think about the issue, the debate in our culture. So a little baby is ravaged in the womb, destroyed in the womb, and for what? Because I don't want to be inconvenienced, because it's not the right time, because maybe I can't afford it. But you were willing to satisfy your lust in that moment, and then to dismiss of that innocent child because you were being inconvenienced. And by the way, most abortions in our nation, sadly, are elective. They're not for the life of the mother. And so this is what we're dealing with. James, once again, in our face, in our kitchen. He says, you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious. Here's the idea of envying or being jealous of somebody else. And you can't obtain. You want what they have. So you fight and quarrel. And then James says, here's the problem. You don't really pray about what you want. You don't have because you don't ask. This is a group of believers that has certainly lost its way. And James says, you even fail to pray. You have not because you asked not. Now, James is going to clarify something that I think we all need to hear, especially in a world where Christianity is sold as life improvement. Some of the biggest churches in America make promises to congregants that if you just do things this way, then you are going to be blessed and super blessed. Now look, God wants to bless you, but he wants you to be asking for the right things. Prayer is not a carte blanche. I pull the right lever. I get what I want. Oh, so the Bible says if I ask, then I have. So if I just ask, I'll have. And the answer is wrong. <laughs> look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. Have you ever been praying about something? Maybe you, you spent weeks in prayer over something 
And then you had an epiphany and you thought, you know what, why am I praying so hard over this thing? This is all about something I want and I'm not even sure my motives are right. I, I've had that happen where I've been praying about something and I've been asking the Lord and then I, and then I had a moment like, is this really about God's kingdom? Is this really about the extension of the gospel? See, this is what prayer hopefully causes us to ask. Not my will be done on earth, but your will be done in heaven and on earth. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. There may be some of you who have heard the idea that if you just ask, you're going to get whatever you ask for. But here is a qualifier in the book of James. You can ask but not receive because your motives are wrong. And if your motives are wrong, God will not grant that request. That means that in your prayer life, God is sovereign. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? Here's what I mean. God is God. You are not. That's what I mean. So when you pray and you say, oh, Father, would you please do this and this? Look, the father, as we heard last Sunday from Ben, wants to bless his children, no doubt. He wants to richly bless us, but he doesn't want to give us what will hurt us. And if he knows that that thing that you've been so enamored with and you've been praying about is all about you and your pleasures, he's going to say, nope. Because father knows best. Those of you who are parents in the room know that there's some things that your children ask for that you know if you gave it to them, it would not be good for them. You're trying to teach them some deeper lessons. And some of you bought it just to quiet them. <laughs> can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I? Okay. <laughs> Here. <laughs> Let's be honest. But we have a parenting class we're going to offer soon about that. <laughs> so James says, you've been asking, but your motives are wrong. Look at verse 3. You don't get it because your motives are wrong that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, there is a whole movement that is out there that says you can just pray and you're going to get what you want. And that's not true. John 15, Jesus says, verses 7 and 8, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this my, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you abide in me, John 15, 7, my words abide in you. In other words, my will. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father will be glorified. If you bear what? Much fruit. That is not a carte blanche. Pull the lever and God's going to give you whatever you want. That is, if you're so closely walking with me, and you ask something that's my will in my name. By the way, if you ask something in the name of Jesus, that means it's associated with his will. Then you'll get whatever you wish. So if it's something kingdom oriented, something about, you know, the fruit of the spirit, something to win somebody else to Jesus, something about the extension of God's kingdom or for God's glory, then be assured God wants to bless you with it. But this is not something where, hey, I just, you know, I've been told that if I just use this formula in prayer, I'm going to get whatever I want and God's going to become my bellhop in the sky. James says that's wrong. If it's about you and your motives and your, 
your wrong motives and your pleasure, the Father's not going to supply it. And so you may pursue it, but in the end, it's not going to be the best thing for you. So there is a pleasure-mad Christian who has some spiritual sensitivity. He realizes his prayers or her prayers are inappropriate. Somehow he senses that his desire for a Maserati may not be a spiritual essential. So he asks for nothing. In fact, he doesn't pray much at all because few of the things he wants are high on the divine priority list. Secondly, some pleasure-seeking believers do express their wrongly motivated desires in prayer, but do not receive. And then some people get disappointed because they've been sold a bill of goods, whatever I ask, and then it doesn't come. And then they wonder, well, is there a God? Or is this, am I doing the formula wrong? No, there's a God in heaven who wants you to learn to do his will, not your will. And that's one of the biggest things in the Christian life that's a struggle. Amen? to figure out, okay, Father, what is your will and how do I carry it out? Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.